welcome to another episode of The Greatest Pod, where we discuss and debate what makes something great. I'm Ed Greer. I'm producer Bill. And today, uh, the thing we have to discuss is two giants, two titans of comic art. Uh, they may be from uh, before some folks' time, but they are they have influenced comic book artists that you like. So getting to the roots of these influences, sometimes we have to go back in the history books. And two of these historical uh, great comic book artists are John Byrne and Frank Miller. And given the versus format that we've sort of adopted these last few months, I kind of wanted to talk about, well, who's the greatest between those two? And trying to dis- discern that as people who, frankly, are of the generation right after they were truly super big. One of the things I know more than anything else in this conversation is if you were to ask uh, John Byrne this question, he would tell you John Byrne. No question at all. (laughs) Well, you know, I I think both of them have a little bit of ego. I mean, frankly, Frank Miller kicking it with Will Eisner like they were just like they just grew up together for like the last years of his life. It's like it would be like me trying to like really get close to Dave Chappelle and show us hanging out with each other a whole bunch. Like, see, we're we're great. We're great. You know, and I understand Will Eisner took a little bit of a liking to Frank, but geez Louise, that part to me was like so self-aggrandizing to a certain degree. But hey, if I knew Will Eisner, I'd hang out with him too. And I would do books of conversations with him too. So the bottom line is both of them are, both of them do have a bit of a hubris that is attached to their outsized artistic presence. That is definitely true. I mean, I think it's a worthwhile conversation, too, because, you know, both of these guys really represent sort of the apex of comic artists and not just artists in the 80s. But when artists started to make the transition from just artist to artist writer to sort of the auteur model of comics, these were the two guys who were indisputably at the front end of things, you know, as the as the 80s progressed, you had the British invasion of writers from the UK. You know, you had more of the underground and alt comic scene coming up. But in the mainstream, the biggest change, you know, preceding sort of the grim and grittyization of comics was this idea that singular creators could come in and sort of put their mark on these house characters. And I would say nobody really did a bigger or arguably better job of that than Miller and Byrne. Well, yeah, that's one thing I wanted to get to is because there is this almost conception of them by me as <laughs> more of uh, I a lot of us in this industry and in this time and, and people who like comics listen to cartoonist kayfabe or watch their their YouTube programming. And they they've come to use this term jobber for anybody who kind of shows up and does 30, you know, does a page a day for 30 days, sends off the work. Boom. You know what I mean? And and they're done with their job and they start over that next month and they just keep the vision solo comic going or whatever the fuck is on the yeah. stands. Just keep churning and burning. Get the work out. Get it done. Frank Miller and definitely John Byrne are what I call super jobbers to where they get their stuff in, but they also have this outsized. I think I think you might have said outsized influence over these characters and and their stints on books that it did it was the first time speaking for myself as a little baby kid some of the first comics that i recognized i liked those comics were john byrne comics some of the first comics where it was like 
oh, look how the Hulk looks for these three issues. That's sick. Look how, you know, the X-Men look for all these back issues. Like, I found some Paul Smiths, some J.R. Juniors, and a bunch of John Burns that are more expensive for some reason. Why is that? You know what I mean? He, John Byrne uh, finds some Fantastic Fours. All of a sudden, you know, uh, Invisible Woman is doing more than Simper in the Corner. What's this? Who did that? John Byrne. You know, you start to see that John Byrne had his hands in all these things, but they are just other people's stuff for a long time. Both of them just trucked at other people's stuff for a long time. Yeah, it's such a mouthful to sort of talk about this transition because really you lose sight of the fact that like comic art was just a commercial art job mm -hmm. pretty much up until the early 80s. I mean, it was no different than, you know, Norman Rockwell painting covers for, you know, Oh, what was it? The Weekly Standard or whatever it was that he painted all mm -hmm. those covers for or an art director at an ad agency, you know, putting together mock-ups of their advertisements or even hiring somebody, you know, in the sort of the pre uh, high quality reproduction of photography days. You would just have guys to come in and do these beautiful paintings for your, you know, for your cigarette ads or your nylon ads or whatever it was. And comics was essentially a lower tier of that. Like you, mm -hmm. you were a jobber because you just showed up and you did the work for your pay and you didn't really think more about it than that. And there was a mass transition into thinking of a comic book creator as more of an author. But, mm -hmm. you know, that happened slowly. And we'll talk about it in another episode, I'm sure. I mean, Neil Adams was certainly a pioneer of that. Stan Lee even needs some credit for, you know, really pushing to have the creator's names in every book, you know, making the creators part of this this kayfabe that he came up with of, you know, Stan's soapbox and the bullpen and all that. Mm -hmm. But it was a long time before, you know, making comics was seen as like an authorial act. And, and Byrne and Miller really represent an interesting transition because they're both guys who were trained and did the work as commercial artists. They hit deadlines, they worked in a house style, and they both sort of grew beyond that as the industry grew with them. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we'll talk a little bit about the fact they also bounced back and forth between Marvel and DC. They weren't chained to just the bullpen of one company. You know, mm -hmm. in Frank Miller's case, he started to experiment more with his artistic style after starting in very much a Marvel house style. John Byrne really just stuck in that house style his entire career, but it allowed him to just put his nose to the grindstone and churn out, you know, 60 pages of pencils a month while also writing books, which is just an insane level of productivity. So that's even an interesting comparison where with, you know, Miller, it became way more about craft um, or maybe it with Miller, it became way more about art. And with Byrne, it became way more about craft. Byrne really tried to hone what he did and just do the most efficient version of it. Miller started to go crazy with experimentation and really try to find his voice as an artist, which is yeah. better. That's why we're saying verses. Yeah, I think it's interesting how um, you could say that Frank Miller did less work overall. Like he wasn't doing three books, you know, even when he was just doing layouts, you know. But I think it was because he started to concentrate on how to tell a story, whether it was him doing layouts and Klaus finishing everything and coloring it, or whether he had to do every tick mark like in Ronan, he just started figuring out like, okay, how do I want to spend my time? And to burn, it was like, I'm gonna spend my time doing as many books as I can and making all this money. What? The, what? It was never even a question, it seems like. 
And to the point where um, Frank Miller was always trying to be like, okay, if I'm going to make this character for you, this is my character. And I should get credit for making up Electra. And if you want to bring back Electra, you guys should run it back past my desk and stuff like that. Whereas Byrne famously came out and said, Jack Kirby needs to shut the fuck up. So does his family because, you know, you created that stuff, work for hire. I created mad shit, work for hire, dog. I don't give a fuck. I'm just turning to Burning, baby. Those are, you can't get too more dichotomous than that. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and maybe this is a weird place to start in the conversation between these guys. But, I mean, their opinions on sort of the medium of comics mm-hmm. are wildly different. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it still shocks me that Byrne has as many defenders as he does, frankly. I mean, John Byrne, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn when I say that, like, John Byrne still just considers comics sort of a disposable trash art form. And, you know, his attitude for a long time has sort of been like, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. You don't need to put more thought into this than, you know, it takes somebody to read a 20 page comic. Like, I don't know why you would be thinking about it more than longer than it takes a reader to read it. Like, you just do some fun shit and you make it clean and you make it easy and you move on with your life. And it's like, that is very different than Frank Miller, who was very much a pioneer and experimenter of the graphic novel format of the Elseworlds format. Like you're saying, this very creator driven idea of what comics could be this authorial, you know, statement piece all the way up to things like Sin City, where the art, the writing, everything just oozes his personality and his worldview. Um, I actually don't know how these two guys feel about each other, but just based on their attitude toward the medium, I would think that they might not have the rosiest opinion of each other. Well, it's funny because they were both part of the uh, legend line of comics that famously spawned. uh, Well, they pulled in things like concrete. It was not concrete was not spawned by them, but they sort of pulled in Paul Chadwick uh, to, to use concrete as like, a little bit of their mascot for the legend line and Mike Mignola famously debuted uh, uh, Hellboy for the legend line uh, and even had John Burns character, the the Torch of Liberty, be part of handing down, you know, superheroic shit to Hellboy. And then you have Frank Miller with the Sin City line, which was part of legend. So I I think they probably see each other as these elder statesmen. But it would be like just like if you made movies for 20 years and I made movies for 20 years and you made pop bullshit, I'll say that I'll make the pop bullshit and you make these beautiful Bernard, Bernardo Bertolucci things. Well, there might be this natural like if we really sat down to talk to each other for an hour, we might sure. have a fight. But if we just know of each other in passing, it's just, hey, man, he makes those beautiful Bertolucci movies and I'm a millionaire. So there's no reason for <laughs> us to fight. <laughs> you know you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think they probably have that. I mean, I'm just from I, that's one thing I, in my research. I, I tried not to look up too many things where they were battling. I did see one thing, though, that was very interesting um, where Frank Miller. I did not remember this. I'm, I'm not quite old enough to remember him having done this. But right around the time of Image. Frank Miller put out a thing saying that John Byrne was right about image because when the heroes reborn thing happened, it looked as though image was sort of folding and the main people who were the biggest ones at image, Rob Liefeld and Jim Lee 
decided to come back and work for Marvel after all, but they're with quote unquote, their tails between their legs, doing work for higher crap again, saving their masters. I mean, this is like Django roll rides his horse back to the burning house and starts saving people. That's kind of mm. how it was characterized. Why not just piss on the ashes of their burning grave from your 10, 10 story office of image and, and become Marvel. Because when the market went down, the overall speculator market went down, they noticed their money going down. Marvel being a lifeboat that you became familiar with, you just sort of patch it up a little bit to make sure it's there just in case you need it. That's what it seemed like the image dudes are going back to, to kind of save this this thing that they should have evolved past. So Frank Miller put out an essay saying that that uh, John Byrne was right. And John Byrne, Peter David, a lot of the old jobbers, as you know, the KFA guys have got to give credit, would say, were just so mad at Image, dude. They were so mad that these people could be like Frank Miller. Go have a cult of personality. Go have people hanging on their every word. Go have people soaked in their personality when they're reading their books. But the motherfuckers don't come out on time. And some of them don't even exist. And then you got the nerve to have people drawn like you to make a nice assembly line. But you said that Marvel's assembly line sucked. Byrne really tried to break all that down. So of, of all the nasty things he's ever said, it was nowhere close to the wrongest thing that he'd ever said. Yeah, I get that. But, I, you know, again, you can go and look up sort of the specifics of some of these arguments. All I'll say is John, everything that comes out of John Byrne's mouth just stinks of sour grapes to me. Like he just I agree. He, he loves nothing more than calling anybody who tries to do anything hubristic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's that's why mm-hmm. I started like his whole point of view seems to be like, why don't you just sit down and shut up and draw some comics? Like that's the only mm-hmm. it's 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 smacks of the whole shut up and dribble thing. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying that it's racially motivated, but just that idea of like we know what this industry is. Don't try to pretend it's anything it's not. Like come in, do your job and shut up. And mm-hmm. it's it just feels so regressive. I, I don't I don't know and like well, it's to be fair, to, to be fair, not, not, not to rebut, but I don't yeah. want it to be too much of a burn pylon. The one thing I think is interesting about what he thinks, because he thinks so many wrong things. I agree with you on that. He thinks so many wrong things. His brain definitely has worms. But of all the things, his his thing on comics, I'm sorry, I think the Frank Millers of the world are the reason, and paper shortages and whatnot, are the reason why <laughs> average fucking floppy comics that suck ass and are truly disposable cost five fucking ninety nine? Why can't I go somewhere and get a newsprint copy of a goddamn comic in the fucking drugstore like with your little kids so that people can so people can discover the medium? We have the same 40 to 50 year old fat fuckers reading all the comics in the world. We're not it doesn't seem like we're gathering new people. Like we should, you know, Peach Bomoko and stuff like that, notwithstanding some of the new stuff they're doing at Marvel and DC, notwithstanding fine. They're they're trying hard to to outbreak. All I'm saying is John Byrne has it right that a lot of comics, maybe not the mo- maybe not most comics. Fuck it. Fifty five percent, fifty percent, fifty percent of comics, in my personal opinion, should be able to be found in places that aren't an intimidating comic comic book store full of critical assholes who will like marvel at you for bringing a girl in there and shit like that i mean you shouldn't have to go into an environment like that to get a goddamn comic book i think it would garner more meat more readers and he's big on that so i agree with him on that i just had to say that no and that's a fair point and i can i can get on board with that as well because i do think you know 
part of the reason why he is so dismissive out of hand and he is so quick to call people hubristic is because his view of superheroes is like, yeah, they're dumb stories for kids. And dumb is probably a harsh word. Obviously, some of my anti-burn bias is coming through. But, you know, it, he has this attitude that, like, superhero stories are essentially meant for five to ten year olds, need to be written and marketed and created as such. And if you want to do anything more sophisticated than that, stop messing with superheroes. And again, I don't know if I if I can fully get on board with that. But to your point, there is a lot of fallout of the Frank Millerization of mainstream comics. And I would definitely agree that one of those things is the elevation of the comic book to sort of this objet d'art, this, this thing that like, needs to be a beautiful, you know, token for the ages, as opposed to a disposable pamphlet that you give a kid to make them read something. And mm -hmm. there is there is absolutely veracity in that. I guess I just feel like, you know, why can't the tent be big enough to have both? And I suppose oh, yeah. it is. But yeah. certainly the burn viewpoint has very much fallen by the wayside over the past 20 years. Right. And I'm not trying to say it. Everybody's been saying this guy has been is going to fall in comics for I mean, people were telling stories about getting in in the 70s and being told that it had five years left. Yeah. So, I mean, the death of comics has been greatly exaggerated, of course, across all time. And it's proven it's a proven fact that more publishing and more sales than uh, I, I don't know about ever before, but in the last 10 years, at least are happening right now. We are in an, a mini golden age of actual publishing especially when you can see how many different ways there are to publish. So like to go to the Frank Miller of it all, um, I do agree that while both of them were, it's, it's serious business when they get on a book. I don't know. I mean, we could probably compare and contrast uh, Burns X-Men run uh, or Fantastic Four, maybe more, um, more appropriately with the Daredevil run Frank Miller did, but I don't know. I'd probably go to my grave thinking that the way you take over a book and make it yours is Frank Miller's Daredevil run. Sure. Like, that's the way. And you sure. take everything that's always been there, you bring out all these new things, but then you start to explain, which is funny because John Byrne did this for Superman and a lot of other characters. I was you start to say, yeah. Well, not to cut you off, but I was just about to yeah. say, I will go to my grave thinking that John Byrne's Man of Steel taking over of the Superman titles is one of the worst ways to possibly do that but uh, we're we gonna get, get to that yeah no, we're no, there's definitely a man of steel section coming up we're gonna be about 10 minutes but yeah. uh but yeah but but the daredevil thing i just feel like it it's how you take over character without destroying everything because maybe there's some old timer who just wants daredevil to be a swashbuckler and just i'm blind i'm a blind swashbuckler and i'm just like you know but miller's seizing on that zatoichi of it you know what i'm saying the the blind swordsman the blind super martial arts guy the person who would have the training and the wherewithal to be able to be this swashbuckling pugilist he would have to have more training than just being a swashbuckling pugilist so he sort of made him a ninja in 1981 or two mm. like three four years before the so-called ninja boon the thing oh, yeah. that made the turtles start turtling and being ninjas is frank miller comics is a proven fact so it's like his just being an early adopter and explaining some of the things about Daredevil that didn't make sense ever and adding so many layers to all these. And then the addition of Elektra just, 
I don't know. It's 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 become a little gauche to just jizz all over his his run on Daredevil, but I gotta do it because it's so sick. Well, it was. I mean, it was also revolutionary at the time, right? Because what you're talking about is him really digging into character. Mm-hmm. And doing that same thing that I, you know, and I think Miller speaks fondly about this movie himself, but doing sort of what Richard Donner did in that 1978 Superman movie, where it's like, what happens if we just take this seriously? Like, what happens if we buy into this completely and don't just write it off as like, oh, yeah, it's for 10 year olds. And, mm-hmm. you know, you get everything from like Miller doing the very practical what kind of training would he need? Like, how would that affect his his powers? How would that affect his personality in turn? All the way back to, oh, he's an Irish Catholic boy who grew up in a poor ghetto in New York. How does mm-hmm. that affect him as a person? Where is he coming from as a character? And you mine all that and you get all this really rich stuff that is so much deeper. And I don't know. I don't know how to say it without just being biased, but I would say more gratifying than just, you know, the swashbuckling, wisecracking blind guy who makes the best of having this weird disability, which is a great starting point for the character, but it's not the be all end all of the character. And I think that Mm -hmm. was Miller's. I mean, that's what made Miller famous, right? Is like being able to dig into like capital L literary character work with you know, the specific couple of characters that he tackled throughout the 80s. Obviously Daredevil, obviously then Elektra coming out of Daredevil, and then the big one being Batman between Year One and The Dark Knight Returns. And we talked about the the Millerification of comics. If there was a one-way, like, fuck you, man, between these two guys, I would have to say it would be burned towards Miller. If there was, I'm just making this up out of whole cloth, but if there was, I would feel, given the evidence, that it would be that. Because, again, as I hinted at earlier, this whole, oh, cult of personality, this grand author that deems to use our medium type of worship, I don't feel like people gave that to Jack at his time. I know they didn't give it to John Byrne in his time, and Frank Miller got it. And I just was like, and it just, it would have to eat at you a little bit. And when you look at the things that Frank Miller contributed, like, well, maybe when the police starship goes home, they have some sort of different sort of lifestyle than was depicted in the eighties. And maybe when this happens and maybe Ben Urich's wife is going to get choked and all this crazy jazz that he put in there. I think people, I think people were like, comics got along just fine without that stuff for years so why are you putting some of these larger, um, more mature themes into this into our medium? Because it makes us all look. It's almost like the people who are mad at at, at Neil Adams. That's why we got to talk about Neil Adams by himself. Because yeah. a he saved real original art from being destroyed, and sort of he's a huge part, as you stated, in getting this to be a real art form that's respected. Because they used to just take your beautiful original art and throw it in the trash and and cut it up to make it fit in the trash better. That's what it would destroy it to make it fit in the trash better. That's what they would do with art that's going to stand the test of time. So that was super fucked up. But also he brought in this style of illustration that frankly takes more man hours. It takes more knowledge of anatomy to do Mm. and started trying to make that sort of industry standard. And they're like, I can't draw that good. I can't draw like that. And why do you are making me do that? Flip it to burn burn. Looking at Frank Miller could probably be like, I Johnny's mad that, the thing took his fucking 
Twinkie. Can't that be enough? And then, of course, when he starts to try to add more gravitas to it, he starts doing shit like having Johnny and Alicia Masters have a have a sex affair while the thing is off planet and weird shit. And I'm just like, okay, bro. And then you start to look at what Byrne just I don't know. The point is, John Byrne just stuck within the script and let some of his peccadillos fly, whereas I just feel like Frank Miller, especially after the first year or so of Daredevil, just let his freak flag fly high and proud and got so much more credit for it than Byrne has ever got. Yeah, I mean, they strike me, I've never met either guy, but they strike me as two completely different personalities. I mean, you know, John Byrne comes across as fairly uptight. And, you know, he talks about these characters like he he responds to their platonic ideal forms, right? Like Mm. if you're going to do the Fantastic Four, it's a lovable, dysfunctional family. And the thing is the crotchety uncle and Johnny is the hothead. And that's all you got to do, because, again, you know, we're not doing this for 30 year olds who need more depth. We're doing this for 10 year olds. And when they outgrow it, they outgrow it. and You keep doing it for new 10 year olds. Mm -hmm. And he that was how we approached Superman. And I would argue that's even how we approached the X-Men. You know, the X-Men is sort of a torrid daytime soap opera with superpowers. And that is exactly what he delivered on the X-Men. You know, he's not going outside the box with this stuff. And I think when he tries to sometimes, whether that's because it's his personal peccadillo or because he's trying to go with the, uh, the flavor of whatever era he's working in, I don't think it comes out very well because I don't know that he has the interiority to like bring out some of those more subtle humanistic nuances. I think whatever you want to say about Frank Miller, and he has definitely expressed some bizarre, to say the least, views on politics and and, uh, Mm -hmm. mostly politics. (laughs) I do think he's I do think he is ultimately a humanistic guy, right? Like he responds to people and he's interested in stories about people. And it's like the rough edges and the hidden depths and the dark shadows, like that is what he really loves. And it comes through in his work. Again, you know, he's a weirdo for sure, but his work is like deeply human. Even when he's trying to tackle something that's like, as grand and operatic as the dark Knight returns, it's all grounded in like the interior turmoil of the people that he's writing about. Well, it's because they're, they're, they're actually people, even though if I were to say the thing that I, I find lacking in, in Frank Miller stuff is I think he thinks of it filmically in the way that like, he doesn't try to get too interior. Like even if he's doing a running monologue, where did Dwight go to high school from Sin City? Sure. What 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 was what was Marv's early life like? You don't know, and Frank don't know, frankly, sure. because he's obsessed with what's happening to them now. Even if they have a little backstory, they have only enough backstory for them to react in certain ways in the now. And he's certainly not concerned with continuity or anything like that. And I think what's interesting about Byrne is for how shitty he is in regards to. Um, shitting on new creators for going against the so-called way and all this different jazz he does, he seems to, and despite his comments on Jack Kirby, he seems to go, well, if they did something early, I have to acknowledge it. Even if I'm going to change it, I have to know it and acknowledge it. Whereas I don't know that Frank really gave a fuck what happened after between Wally Wood and him. I don't know if I don't know if Frank really gave a fuck, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you also, I mean, also like 
all the better for it in a lot of ways. <laughs> and it's tough because, you know, that ethos can't apply to every creator. I mean, some people just are in the wrong place at the wrong time. And like, you don't want to see the reinvention that they're going to do. A lot of people don't have the talent that he had. So again, it comes back to this idea that, you know, the burn viewpoint isn't necessarily wrong because that's not necessarily the right way to run, you know, a major IP company like Marvel and DC is, hey, do whatever you want. Forget about everything else we've ever did. You know, it it's not necessarily the right way to do it. In Frank Miller's case, though, it worked because he chose the exact right material at the exact right time. And there is something there is real immense talent in the guy even though of course he you know there are things that he's lacking on and i would agree with you that like he is absolutely hmm, i was gonna say the ernest hemingway of comics but he's too verbose to be the ernest hemingway of comics <laughs> but there's that idea that like everything is happening in the now in the present tense and i kind of don't care about how we got here or how it's going to reverberate like i just want you to pay attention to right now in the moment He's very Hemingway-like in, in that respect. Well, and also one thing, and we're going to ease on into the Man of Steel section and stuff as we talk ah. about their revamping of characters, because I got to say, man, I guess I'm on the wrong side of history in regards to um, his revamp of the Man of Steel, because frankly, I just, the only thing I hated about it, and we're going to get into it, but there's only a couple of things I really hated about it. But over and over, there seems to be this pattern of, short-term uh reviving that happens when john byrne gets a hold of something i remember hulk sort of not being bad but sort of just being a sal Brusema, i drew all these pages last night fest for like a billion issues and then all of a sudden john byrne comes on and like there's hulk busters and there's this grand plot to fuck up the hulk and yeah 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 and then he leaves and i'm like what the hell and i noticed these in black issues but like i i read the hulk and back issues from probably a hundred something all the way to three something you know what i mean so i was like noticing the patterns and like i gotta say when john byrne comes on something it's seismic the yeah. the x-men jazz cockrum was a great costume designer a great uh drawer of 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 um tech a great inventor of tech and designs and costume designs and character jazz but when john byrne starts drawing john dave cockrum's designs all of a sudden they're really singing all of a sudden it's really like that's the x-men that's who these guys are these a lot of those are really just classic tales and i think when he starts to write it a little bit he's the one who's keeping it light because you can feel that claremont wants the soap opera you know what i mean the the person who's who's actually making sure that somebody gets punched in this issue seems to be burned you know what I'm saying? Because he takes over as like co-plotter, I think about midway in their run, which was like 30 issues. I didn't remember it being that long, but I remember there being so many Claremont Byrne uh, comics uh, when I was a kid. Like I would mm -hmm. find them in, I would find them in old boxes. I would find them marked up on walls and I'd be like, why are these different? So I started collecting them and I started to see that like there is something to the 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 infusion of energy john byrne brings when he when he starts taking over something there are weird examples of it like the west coast avengers where he just he ruined vision vision could fly into the fucking sun as far as i'm concerned so i really didn't notice or care but people like you who are superman fans have a lot to say about him changing stuff in the man of steel which we're right about to talk to talk about but like namor i started reading namor in the fucking 90s 
or at least get the back issues for it because John Byrne took over and made Namor all of a sudden a rich land dweller who just dragged treasure out of the sea. It was like, I uh, take this to the Deutsche Bank, you know what I mean? And got to be an interesting character for a second. And the Hulk issues that he did. And when he scripted Hellboy, he scripted the first series of Hellboy. It just He just has his fingers in some of these good shits over time that I kind of, I don't understand the fall off later. I, I, maybe it's the time's passing you by or whatever. But let's talk about Man of Steel because it seems to be one of his most egregious things. And we'll do point counterpoint as to if it's good or bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I look, I could write it. I could write it freaking term paper i know you could i know you could i may have elsewhere to just you know back in the message board days of my uh teen and 20s but um no look i I think i think man of steel like i'll cop to this i have not read a lot of burns marvel work like i'm familiar with what he did i've seen a lot of the art but i have not read a lot of it and i know that a lot of it's beloved from fantastic four to she hulk to x-men um yeah, Fantastic Four other... is going to get its own section. People, calm down. <laughs> Take, put your pitchforks down. Go ahead, though. But I will say this from the Superman aspect. I think the the biggest problem with it, and part of this was the editorial mandate, right, of starting from scratch because we just had crisis. Mm-hmm. But his whole back to basics, there's a platonic form of this thing, and it doesn't need to be more complicated than that. It's at its worst, and it's at its most hypocritical in Man of Steel. Because on the one hand, there was so much interesting work done with Superman in the 70s, fleshing out his relationship to Luthor, fleshing out just this idea. Essentially, chiefly under the writer Elliot S. Magan, Superman became a canvas on which to explore big ideas about humanity. Everything from, like, what does it mean to be a good man to, you know, what sort of things need to change in the world in order to create a more utopian future. And not all of those stories worked. A lot of those stories were cheesy, and they were of their time in the 70s when, you know, this stuff was still being made for nine-year-olds, and, you know, it was not, it didn't have any great literary aspirations. But Bronze Age Superman... And Grant Morrison talks a lot about this, really grew into this sort of mythic figure. It was sort of, I would argue it's apex Superman, right? It's Superman with 30 years of history behind him and kind of all the edges sanded until it was this sort of shining ball of a thing that most people didn't know what to do with. Hmm. I'll agree with DC Editorial there. But when Byrne comes in, it was a little (laughs) bit like, it was a little bit like the problem that I have with a lot of Jim Starlin's work where he's, he's, you know, uh, venerated for being like the, the cosmic guy in comics. But I look at Jim Starlin's work and really all it is to me is it's like, oh, it's a guy and he's cosmically powerful and you don't need to know more than that. And he's going to fight another guy who's cosmically powerful and they're going to fight. And there's your cosmic story. And I look at that and I'm like, that's some bullshit. Like, I'm not interested in that in the slightest. And to me, that was sort of Burns' approach to Superman, not the cosmic powered stuff. But it's like, he's a guy who's really strong and flies and does the right thing. And you don't need more than that. It's like, but 
whether or not I personally do, there's so much other interesting stuff that people were trying to do with the character. And like, it just felt like so, it. And again, I didn't experience it in real time. I had to go back and discover this on my own. But you juxtapose Man of Steel and sort of the, the first early years of the Burn comics with sort of everything that was happening leading up to Superman the movie and sort of after Superman the movie with the Superman character. And it just feels a little bit like, it almost feels spiteful. It almost feels like Mm. you take a character that was supposed to have sort of like this cosmic radiance about him. Like there was something just, he comes from heaven and he comes from this weird utopia and he's here Mm. to like, figure out what to do with humanity. And then Byrne comes along and it's like, nope, he's essentially just a really strong Spider-Man. And he just hangs out and he stops crime. And his his <laughs> biggest nemesis is a businessman in an office building. And like, isn't that neat? And I, it just is like, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know how to find love for it because then I also said it was the most hypocritical, right? Because on the other hand, he starts to get into the whole backstory of Krypton and what Krypton was and what Krypton means. And that was some overcomplicated bullshit world building. If you've ever seen it, where suddenly it's like, well, we're going to have clone wars, which is something shamelessly stolen from star Wars. And (laughs) They're not going to be able to leave the planet because a thousand years ago there was a religious movement that altered their DNA and it was it resulted in a war and now there's this and it's like I, there's some interesting ideas in there. The idea of Kryptonian society sort of breeding in this weird alien way I think could be good if used correctly. I don't think he ever did it. I, there was just this weird sort of fascination with turning krypton into almost like this very off-putting kind of gross sci-fi society and i i I get the intent was like well this gives superman something to reject and he's gonna fully embrace being on earth but it's like isn't that sort of an easy choice but and also krypton is supposed to be gone so like what's the heroic (laughs) thing in him rejecting this thing that was destroyed and he never knew anyway (laughs) Isn't there something a little bit more sort of hopeful and cosmic about, yes, I grow up human because that's the only thing I know, but then I discover, oh, I have this whole other piece of my past, and oh my god, it's like this utopian sort of jewel, and again, I know that not every version before Burn embraced this idea either, but this sort of like jewel of the cosmos that I'll never be able to know and never be able to touch, but like it can inform my appreciation of life and the trajectory of life and where life might go. I don't know. Again, it just, there's such richness there that it's like, nope, they sucked. And he's going to say, fuck them. And it's just <laughs> like, it's this weird combination of like overcomplicating all the shit that you didn't need to complicate and stripping away all the complicated shit that was actually really interesting and working up until that point. And it just, to me, it just leaves you with the most bland, milquetoast version of the character. And I would argue that because of that, like, that was really the downfall of Superman in the modern era. And I feel like over the past 20 years or so, there's been this slow redemption of the character. But for the, especially through the 90s, there was just this idea of, like, Superman is the blandest, most bullshit character imaginable, and nobody has any use for him whatsoever. 
And I think that started with John Byrne. Sorry, See? that was not point-counterpoint. That was me ranting and you very patiently letting me get it out. So let me just acknowledge that. No, I, I think it was it, it it was it's instructive in how complete it was. Because I'll tell you, this is my counterpoint. Um, I didn't care about none of that shit at all. I, I respect what you said about all that. I didn't care at all. I cared about him uh deciding because it's so funny that I didn't care about those things that are very huge but the stuff that kept tripping me up when i went back to look at it was simple shit like he shaves his fucking face with a with was shooting his his heat ray vision off of the mirrored part of his ship and that's how he shaves his fucking face i don't need to know that nobody needs to know that what the fuck are you doing and then uh superman flies and he never gets any his suit hardly ever gets torn or dirty even because he has a low level force field around it of course that's why his his tape his his cape gets tattered because too far away from his internal force field all right thanks george lucas the third telling me that shit that's the thing i feel like the only person that gets anything out of that is john Byrne. Dude, I'm, like not dude, like, uh, dude okay. I'm not done. Dude, I'm not done. So I'm not done. He's flying. Superman's flying. He's flying with some big shit overhead, and he goes, "Huh? I've noticed this phenomenon a few times before. I'm not actually using my muscles to lift up this thing that I'm flying. It seems as though I'm flying it through force of will. Like, what the fuck? And I guess that's him going. He hates it that something that's a pinprick can lift up a fucking aircraft carrier without it snapping in half, or him going right through it like a BB through a piece of paper. I get all that, bro. But like, we're supposed to be doing shit for nine year olds, right? right? Then shut the fuck up and let's do some nine year old shit. It's like he 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 has this nine year old person ethos, but he also overcomplicates everything due to your rant and due to the one that I just did. He he. One of his main go-to moves is explain something that doesn't need to be explained, which is funny because we just blew Frank Miller for five fucking minutes for doing the same thing, but a thousand times better. And of yeah. course, picking a character that needed more work. That's another thing that Frank Miller did that was super smart. Byrne keeps getting the biggest gig of all time. Now, everybody knows Batman's a big gig, but he cut his teeth on like Daredevil going off on his own to do Ronan before Dark Knight. He took yep. that giant chance, failed them, didn't sell a bunch of comics, kind of a failed experiment was Ronan, and then still gets the Batman job? That's some big nuts, man. <laughs> That's the big nuts, dude. To, to do your creator own stab with DC, fuck it all up, and then get Batman and knock it out of the park on the rebound? That's just insane. So just comparing that to John Byrne deciding to do a bunch of weird fucked up shit with Wonder Woman when he was on her... Uh, explained a bunch of weird shit in a weird way with Superman. Uh, it's just weird. I'll make a controversial statement. Like John Byrne seems to write superhero comics for like autistic nine-year-olds. It's like <laughs> he has to over-explain all of the most minute stuff that really doesn't matter that much, but is kind of neat if you're into that thing. Mm-hmm. And then like gives absolutely no human warmth or pathos to anybody whatsoever it's, it's all just, just information level shit yeah yeah it's just this weird information when, and yeah. conversely when you look at frank miller when he's like he can do a bunch of dumb purple prose that i think i know i think he knows he's doing though mm. 
I, I, you know what I'm saying? And even if I don't give him that pass, if I give him the, yes, he's got some purple pros, period, no qualifiers, there's still something, I feel something more for his characters in general. And that just dawned on me in the middle of that sentence. I yeah. hit him, him with, it, when you look at even Batman, even on the Batman job, which I'll say a controversial statement, Frank Miller on Batman over historical time has been as destructive as Burns' take on Superman. Mm -hmm. When you really look at this militarized, fascist, shithead Batman we've gotten for 20 years, mm -hmm. that kind of, and overpowered, God mode, all of that debuted in 1980 motherfucking six, and much like a nuclear bomb, that fallout has colored all Batman stuff. Batman's a god who will fuck up Superman any day he wants to. Super smarter than everybody. Has a fascist young army that follows him. Mm. And and is like this total law over the law. That ex the exact point, exactly as I just stated it, has been part of Batman's mythos since then. And it's just as destructive as anything in that Superman shit. I can't argue with that. I think you're dead on. Honestly, like the 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 apex of both of those fallouts for me was Jeff Loeb's Batman Superman series that everybody seems to look really fondly on, even in retrospect. And for me, was always a little bit like, oh, this is just highlighting sort of the Miller Burn um, disintegration of these characters because in that book, it's like Superman's basically just a corn fed hick and like. He's got down home wisdom on everything and basically and like is pretty much has no depth other than that. And Batman is like a paranoid weirdo who is constantly <laughs> thinking about killing people. And it's like, isn't this cute? This corn fed yokel and this paranoid billionaire mm -hmm. weirdo who's always thinking about killing people getting together. And it's like, oh, man, I don't like either one of those things. Dude, Can turn him. Do that? <laughs> Dude, turn him Batman into fucking Dale Gribble from King of the Hill. It just sucks. It's yeah. in, it's an insane way to take them. And I don't even think Frank did that. But people trying to copy that copy of a copy, right. you know, get it get it down to these essences of bat god, asshole, paranoiac. Got it. I got it, boss. And they run off and mistranslate your fucking memo, you know, and and for years, dude. So like and, and just to clarify my point earlier, saying that, like, obviously, all vigilantes are people who think that there is some law that they control that's above or to this or adjacent to the law. I'm saying my Batman and my own personal conception, you can have your own, just seems to be a guy who's just like, shit, man, I got a lot of money, got a lot of time. I need to contribute to shit. I'll, I'm going to beat up stuff and do charities. That's what I think I'll do. OK, cool. And in the process of doing that becomes maybe harder and harder and thinks more and more over the course of time and thinks more and more about his responsibilities actual responsibilities and shit or whatever but at least in the beginning through the middle it's kind of he's a guy having fun with the best skills in the world he's a secret agent that writes his own missions that he's you know what i mean that batman yeah. should be that and this just i'm so hurt i think i'm so hurt that it built me into this thing and now i can't live without feeling this adrenaline Boom, that's him. Not, I'm so hurt, I cry about it every day. It colors up my every decision. I'm all fucked up. I, I, I say Martha right before I die. It's like, what? Stop that. Why? 
no and, and it's it's so interesting because like i i think of superman more as like this is this is a guy with sort of the most privileged position on earth who recognizes it and knows it and actively tries to like integrate that into how he carries himself and operates in the world and sort of you know has a very unique and special point of view on literally everything that's going on in the world and for that reason it's like i i can't jibe with the idea of like superman's just going to show up and deliver a deliver a country bumpkin preachy sermon that he heard from his pa one time and it's like that's not how any of this should work so it's like it's funny that you and i have sort of the same rejection of each of these guys conceptions of the main dc characters dude it's um, fucking crazy and it's like it's like this is like a did we just become best friends moment for <laughs> me because i, I we, we are both obviously very much fans of each yeah. of those characters but these conceptions of them this basic wrongness that doesn't have anything to do with any sort of age or back in my day it's just when you look at the cumulative look at the cumulative batman comics Look at the cumulative Superman comics. Superman has always been a super science guy doing weird shit the world can't understand because he's from the fucking future. They literally used to call him the man of tomorrow. He was supposed to be uh, 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 some sort of semblance of what we could become if we just fucking ate our fucking Wheaties. And Batman was always just having a goddamn good time. I'm on Mars. I'm anywhere I need to be. I got the money. I could go do what I want to do. I could have all these adventures. I'm not crying in my soup. Most of those billion issues of De of Detective Comics and Batman, he's not crying in his fucking soup and dreaming about pearls. He's having fucking adventures for Christ. Dude, it's funny because like Batman was always the wish fulfillment character and Superman was always like your cool, weird dad. And it's mm -hmm. like somehow along the way they got they got completely flipped around where it's like superman's cool because wouldn't it be cool to fly and blast through walls and not be able to get hurt and batman's cool because like he's a little bit grizzled but he might take you in and you'll become a billionaire if you're robin and it's like i, I don't know man i i just feel like both of those characters yeah are the opposite of what these two creators turn them into so that being the case well, yeah, we've I'm just saying, at, let's stop talking about dc yeah yeah so so that being the case let's talk it's it's about the uh the the damage that they've done slash influence mm -hmm. and i'll say these days i gotta say that claremont burn run of the x-men whether it's overwrought jazz and one of them dying and all that type of stuff that to me is x-men through and through i think claremont very well kept that up and improved upon it later with all sorts of creators from paul smith to uh jrjr to fucking you know mark silvestri Rick Leonardi, you name it. He worked with the great P. Kirk Russell, whoever, Art Adams, whoever, whatever artist got on a Chris Claremont story, some good X-Men shit was coming out between, you know, when he took over and uh, and uh, the 90s when he got booted off. That whole period is pretty good, especially if you like that. Burns Fantastic Four. I think it's time for Burns Fantastic Four to weigh in here. Uh, and it's the perfect anecdote or rather an antidote to the to the DC jazz of just now. Yep. And it is a titanic act. Now, I understand that you're a youngster and mm -hmm. not a Fantastic Forester. Mm -hmm. So I will advise you that the John Byrne Fantastic Four shit is super fresh, except for the major missteps he made by like the fucking 
oh, that jazz with Johnny Storm bagged things, girl. It was just like, what the fuck would you? He's a fucking monster. You fly and drive race cars. Why would you fuck a monster's girlfriend? What's wrong with you, man? <laughs> like, it's that's Dude. insane. It's such an insane that's... choice. And he does continuously sexualize young people, frankly, in his mm-hmm. you, you can make a pattern of it. Uh, he he's the one who retconned it to be um Sue Storm was like 12 and super in love with Reed Richards the first time they met. Like Reed Richards is in like college and she's like 12. And he goes off and does a bunch of adventures and she like matures enough to be his girlfriend. Like, all right, I'm gonna stop you right there, bud. You got all the power in the world to do whatever you want to do with Stan and Jack's very greatest creations. And that's what you choose to do is like really emphasize that part. You could have we don't remember that part of Indiana Jones. Just scrub it for your mind. Let's let's scrub it out. But he chose specifically not to, which is weird. I'm not gonna get off on that, but I'm just saying, like, but almost other than that shit and the thing with Alicia Masters, that run is insane. When Galactus shows up, it means something. There's so many character moments, even goofy character moments. He takes a lot of time to like draw Reed Richards and Johnny Storm as not that muscular. Because why would they be super buff? Like, like they're not adventurers. They're like, they're, they go out to do scientific shit. And maybe Johnny would get buff or whatever. The bottom line is they weren't yoked. And he made a specific thing. And, and that emphasized the thing then. You know what I'm saying? And and Sue Storm finally becoming somebody who uses her invisibility jazz for more than just cowering and, and hiding. That she can actually use telekinetic fields and shit like that. That was mind-blowing. Even even experiencing it in in back issues it was mind-blowing that to see a take on that character because i had read 90s fantastic fours and they kind of sucked and mm-hmm. i read these old ass fucking 20 cent fantastic fours and they're just rocketing me through this wonder of imagination and the art is better and the stories are making more sense this old goofy comic it was a big deal dude what he did on fantastic four was a big fucking deal man it, I, yeah. I, I will. I just need to cop after that lovely soliloquy about it. I have never read a single issue of Burns Fantastic Four, <laughs> so I'm not Dude, qualified for this conversation. Just, just read the shit where. Just read the the probably the Galactus issues, and and mm-hmm. you'll see if you want to read any more of them. Listen, I one of the, one of the greatest things I've ever seen that John Byrne has done is the page where he explains that every culture sees Galactus in its own way. Which, mm. to be fair, is some of that same, why are you explaining something that doesn't need to be explained? It's like him looking at, why would this celestial being be in the form of a human being in a giant purple costume? Let me handle that. But that's one of the times where the way he handles it actually brings more to the character and sort of makes the world feel more complicated in an interesting way rather than just leaving you go okay yeah sure that's a thing <laughs> which well, no, you know I... it's a fine line and maybe it's down <laughs> to taste but i feel like with burn it's a, it's way more often the latter than it is the former but to your point if he's clicking on all cylinders when he's doing fantastic four that's a great example of how it works so um, he, he definitely is, and I would encourage anybody to look at that before they say, like, oh, man, what are these guys talking about? Frank Miller is the best. Uh, Electra so awesome. Well, uh, that, all of those things are true, but again, uh, I'm looking at, and, and this is where we're going to shift as we round out here into their actual creator-owned output 
because I think that that's emblematic of, okay, okay, with no restrictions, no corporate, nothing, what would you do? And the fact that Frank Miller's what I just want to do by my fucking self left to my own devices is a hardcore crime comic that is a just unstoppable classic got made into a movie penetrated pop culture and as a piece of art as you stated earlier just soaks in his style yeah and john byrne made next men and all this <laughs> weird shit like where you lose if if we if we were doing this true versus style instead of kind of ranking both of these guys over the coals for for sucking for being so awesome uh if we if we were doing a true versus style that would lose you the battle right there to me right there you lose you get to make your own thing you get to make your own thing oh god jeez you know what i mean again dude like not only the creator-owned work but you look even at like where they were given the most free reign to just invent from whole cloth by the big two with miller you get year one and the dark knight returns and with burn you get man of steel again i'm talking about stuff where it's like yeah just make it up however you want it to be right and right there burn Mm -hmm. loses you are a loser (laughs) and and then yeah you extend that to sin city versus next men good lord like it's we're the the chasm the chasm evil knievel is i in this chasm like man (laughs) i ain't doing that dog it's too big so yeah so that that's that's uh that's kind of it's funny a motorcycle rode by just when i was saying that let me leave that in but yeah dude so i just i think that that's where it starts to get just really on frank's side and and frank not being a damn jobber because since frank has had enough money to do whatever he wants and got hollywood success he has never gone back to those places unless it's totally on his terms all the way and you can tell that by the fact that all-Star Batman, here here we go on the sh- the shit can on 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 Frank list here. Ah, All-Star Batman and 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 the uh the Dark Knight Strikes Again. Yep. Are two of the most horrific pieces of comic art. And I'm not, I'm leaving out Holy Terror. I'm doing sure. him a favor by sure. leaving out Hol- uh, uh Holy Terror and frankly a lot of Helen back. It's sort of a later stage Sin City. It's not that good. It's not like it's not good like the earlier Sin Cities, which yeah. which point pains me as well. But we're just gonna take two pieces of things he did for DC. Ugh, those are bad, dude. It's bad stuff. That's bad. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting to compare both of these. I think I think let's briefly compare their later years because that's mm-hmm. a really interesting conversation. Because I think both guys just really fell off a cliff uh, in a weird way that I I don't quite understand. But then yeah, also, what, what, for for Byrne, we'll call it uh, we'll call it what the fuck are you inking with, and for I, for, for Frank, we'll call it everybody's hands are big. Like so, so those are the those are the two <laughs> stages that they seem to be in. But uh, you know, the and then the other thing I think we should get into is sort of their their influences artistically, not just sort of on the characters that they worked on, mm. but in terms of later years. I don't know what happened to Byrne after the launch of Image, but it really seems to have sent him over the deep end because mm. his 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 immediate work sort of in that time period was Wonder Woman, which, like you said, was very <laughs> weird in a lot of ways. 
And ever since then, his, his run on Wonder Woman ended in 1998. I mean, the guy has not been able to hold down a job. And I, that's that's perhaps being a little too critical. He has continued to work fairly regularly, but he's doing like these five-issue stints that sort of come and go, has not really done anything of particular note in literally the last 20 years. And yeah, I mean, his art style... I don't know, man. Like this was the guy who was the heir apparent to that Neil Adams sort of sculptural, um, you know, fast but totally, totally confident command of anatomy um, type of art style. And now, like his art has just become so bland. I don't. I mean, well, that happens I mean, with can, age. But I don't know. Yeah. Well, he seems to in in his heyday. He was able to survive and draw so fast because you start out with Neil Adams and you and you sprinkle that Kirby juice on it, mm-hmm. like everybody's arms a cylinder, kid. You know what I mean? Just, just kind of get it, get it done, and that's why every every male, every male and female, but people have noticed it a lot, even on his male figures, they all have the same face. Like Namor, like the Hulk looks slightly different than everybody because he's the fucking Hulk, but a lot of other people look exactly the same, and it's because he's just sort of like almost blocking it in and, and the worst examples of manga where it's like, I, yeah, these characters are just sort of blocked in. I, you just sort of just gave them a nose mm. and it's just like, geez, Louise, this isn't, this isn't, we'll talk about Bill Sienkiewicz later in the pod uh, or later, later on down in, in the, in the run of this fucking podcast. Uh, but like Bill Sienkiewicz showed how hard it is to draw like Neil Adams and how hard mm. it is to transcend drawing like Neil Adams. Fucking, if John Burns trying to draw like Neil Adams, I'm sorry, you have not done it. It's not fucking close. It ain't the same fucking ballpark. If you're trying drawing in this economic style to get a billion comics out, doing great. And he's still doing great on some level. I've seen X-Men bootlegs that he's done. He lays down his goddamn per- perspective grids, draws some of those same faces, but with a little bit more... There's a little nasty in him now. He's kind of started to... <laughs> to get into like sharper edges. You know what I'm saying? It's not, it's not, not also bulbous and round, but it okay. is kind of that same old style. And some of his weird pencil rendering is kind of weird. Cause he just pencils these. He doesn't ink them because yeah. they're just like their X-Men bootlegs. Why would I ink these and color them and right, stuff? Right, but right. like, but like interpreting his pencils, he does the way he does energy effects and shit. I think he is. It's funny that he's always thought of himself as the heir apparent to Kirby, but he is though. I'm sorry. He draws a bunch. He has a simple thing he can do right-handed and left-handed across two pages to get this book out on time. He's He's got that all down. And he's... I don't think he could be beat as far as somebody who... I'll I tell you what. If somebody said, I need a comic drawn of your life in 10 days, you could choose Frank Miller or fucking John Byrne to draw it. I would pick John Byrne. You know what I'm saying? You know, what's interesting, though, is if that was the question, I would pick I would pick Frank Miller every time, not because I even think he would necessarily do a good job. But I think that there would be there would be really some interesting shit in there. You know what I mean? Like, make me grotesque, Frank Miller. I don't give a shit. Like, I want your point of view, whether that's artistically, whether that's in the story, like that's what you go to Frank Miller for. And to me, I would expect if I, you know, had John Byrne do the story of my life, it would be a competent but boringly rendered standard comic book with some 
off-color dad jokes in there that just maybe feel a little too uh, mean-spirited to make anybody laugh. That's what I would. That's what I would anticipate. Well, okay. All I'm saying is, I just don't know that I want mine. Like, I don't want to be depicted with big giant hands or like how he did Lex Luthor in Dark Knight Strikes Again. Like, that's that's how he depicts me. My whole thing. And I would want the comic to get super done. And I don't want Lynn Varley color in it. So I don't know, man. You know what I mean? So there's there's just there's 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 a lot of things where I would just have to go with Burn. And like I said, I know the comic will get done. Like if it was to save my life, like a, a guy was gonna assassinate me if I didn't present him with a at least penciled comic in ten days. I know Burn could knock that shit out. Yep. Now I, I gotta tell him. I gotta tell him I'm one of the people that he that he doesn't object to. I gotta figure out. <laughs> I gotta figure out uh. that shit. Because bro, he he. As we round out here, that both of these guys, we will admit, have said like. Uh, Bill Cowshedden being uh, as it being political, like phobic sort of stuff has come out of both of these cats, yeah. and it's just wild to me that like I I don't I, know. Back I, in the days, say- it was more damaging to say something like these dudes are saying. So I don't yeah. buy that they're just caught up in the social media era. I just had to get that out. Yeah, I will say though, I. Am I wrong in that Frank Miller seems to have mellowed out? Like, I I feel like Frank Miller's Islamophobia, which very much is what it was, Mm -hmm. was a very knee-jerk reaction to 9-11 that lasted Mm -hmm. way longer than it should have. Mm -hmm. But I feel like he's moved past that. And I don't Mm -hmm. know that he's really ever expressed any other sort of shitty points, shitty racial or... or Mm -hmm discriminatory points of view beyond that um i don't want to give him too much credit but i'm gonna say on the other hand john (laughs) Byrne is just a fucking mess of (laughs) yep fucking opinions dude i mean from (laughs) from the weird sort of like anti-creator rights stuff all the way like Mm -hmm. he is proudly and blatantly transphobic he is Mm -hmm. anti-immigrant he is like he just strikes me as your shitty midwestern uncle who is going to sit you down and be like i worked hard for everything i have everybody else needs to do the same and if they don't become successful it's because they're pieces of shit and like oh and real real quick that's why I hated the birthing matrix. We touched on it earlier. I just want to pound it home. The birthing matrix thing that he did in the Superman comics was to, to make it to where Superman was not actually alien. He was as American as anybody because he was sort of put together based on the dominant culture, right in like two seconds and and like nano printed or something. Then he's, he's trying to explain this in the 1980 something, you know what I mean? And he's, he's explaining that. Clark Kent was nanoprinted based upon John Mompa Kent coming up to the ship and being the first things to discover it, more or less. And so that makes him American and that makes where he came from no longer relevant because he's 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 been quoted as saying, like, well, I was displaced from England as a young child and I never thought of myself as that. I thought of myself as as a Canadian or whatever the fuck he is. And I'm just like what the fuck are you doing with oh, that I shit? Mean, where are you going with up, that? He has straight up said that immigrants um spend too much time identifying with their home country and like that's not a healthy thing to do and they should Uh, i mean again the guy is just a big ball of you should get over it that's what i mean mm -hmm. it's like he is the fastest to call anybody's opinion about anything hubristic 
And yet he like ties himself up into these weird Gordian knots to sort of explain all the shit that nobody needs explained about these characters. Like, I don't know, man. It, it, by all accounts, like he's a good collaborator. You know, again, he gets shit done on time. He'll work with you, et cetera, et cetera, which I don't. And he know knows that. the full. That's the crazy thing. Like what, yeah. as, 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 as we kind of try to get to the point of it, these two guys know the form so well from their different points of view on it. Like Frank's not no longer since maybe about 87, 88, he was no longer in the business of getting something done on time for you. That yep. was not his thing from that point forward. Fuck off with that. So that was that was an interesting divergence from them. But even even then, like Burns started trying to like that's the thing that that makes me come down really on Frank Miller's side, even over all across all this, because I didn't even get a chance to talk about She-Hulk. But go look mm -hmm. at that. Yes, there's some off color jokes and some dumb humor, but she did break the fourth wall well before Deadpool. And frankly, she wasn't the one who invented that. People a billion years ago invented that. So get over it. But like she was a fun I, character. He drew I, her well. She had good adventures. I just no, I just want to sorry. I, I just want to say, yes, he did come up with that before anybody else did, but by his own logic, that doesn't mean anything, and you shouldn't give him the credit. So <laughs> Yeah. So I mean, I I just think she, like things like She-Hulk existing means that at some point he was at a place where he could see beyond just sort of fanboy concerns or whatever and make something kind of new, you know? And it just seems like that didn't go anywhere. Like, I, I, I just, I feel like, I feel like, honestly, bro, if I'm going to be the detective and trace it back to what happened to his ass, when She-Hulk failed, mm. it was like, okay, bro, I did the best. I got a female lead. She's super fucking dope. She's sexually um, in touch with herself in a, in a in a great way because you don't judge anybody they just do what they do and she's her own personality and she loves being the she-hulk she doesn't have any angst over it so she can have all these like get involved with shield adventures get to go to a crime circus do whatever he just made that book almost like like the the best things you think about comics right you design your comic book to be about whatever the fuck you want to be about that week that's what makes being a cartoonist so fun. Like Hellboy can do a story where he's on Mars, he's in hell, he's wherever. And that's the power of the book. He, John, Mike Mignola will never have to draw a car or a plane unless he wants to. That's the, because of how he's rigged his book up, right? So like, it, I don't know. It's it's just it, to go against that in such a huge way. What uh, John Byrne just keeping going back to the same old, the same old way of doing it when he has all this freedom. It just weirds me out, dude, when we compare these two people, when we compare that Frank Miller without any hindrances just took the form in all these different places. And John Byrne just keeps cranking out the type of shit you'd find in like a bubblegum pack. Keeps cranking that out when, when again, he reached the, the apex of being able to do whatever he wanted to do with a comic. And he tried his hardest and he wrote it his best. And frankly, some of those, that first run of She-Hulk's drawings, the best burn shit ever to me. Go back and look at the first run of She-Hulk that he did. Some of the best things he's ever drawn. And when people resoundingly rejected that, I think he just, I think Batman dropped him into a vat of comic book cliches and he came out changed. And you know what I'm saying? Well, look, I mean, he has been very open over the years about his disdain for the taste of readers. 
you know, it's he's very much a my way or the highway guy. I don't know if he still operates it, but those burn robotics message boards that he ran for a oh, long boy. time uh, was sort of the 4chan before 4chan of the internet, if I for my money. And it's like, <laughs> you know, the guy is just very open. Like he no longer attends cons. His his attitude towards comics very much mirrors like William Shatner's attitude towards Star Trek. You know, it's a little bit like I gave you people everything you thought you wanted and you're and you just suck. Like you just don't get it. You know, you again for burn. It's like comics are for 10 year olds. And once you're older than that, fuck off. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. and and yeah, I, I I wasn't following his career at the time, but I could see that like he takes over the character, does this tongue in cheek thing, tries to be very avant garde, you know, innovate some stuff has a horrible experience and then it just becomes, well, you know what? Fuck you. Of course. <laughs> of course that's what happens when I try to do something that might have some literary merit. I've been telling you assholes for years. That's not what this is for. So uh, it's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, but yeah, I get it. <laughs> Wait, you know, so, so, and, and again, uh, so looking at it, we, when we look at the, the tops and pops, I think Burn kind of uh, edges Frank out in regards to who's the tops and pops, who sold the most, this and that. Then you get to like Dark Knight selling the most of any fucking thing. And I think that might make their, if we were to kind of be into their sales, I think it might equal out given how many times Dark Knight has been reprinted in Sin City and stuff. I mean, look, like Miller's quality uh, as a draftsman, as a storyteller in sales looks like, you know, an echocardiogram of somebody having a heart attack. I think with Byrne, there's a steadiness and an equilibrium across his career that maybe doesn't make him as exciting a creator as Frank Miller, but he more than makes up for that with his charming personality. <laughs> so, I don't know, man. Maybe it's because I tend to really respond to people who try interesting things and to people who do break out of the mold. I don't know how I can't give this one to Frank Miller. I think his influence on the business as a whole on art, on the way the audience appreciates comics for better or for ill is so much more outsized than Burns, who was really trying to just maintain status quo from the heyday of Jack Kirby. Um, and then, yeah, like we've said, if you look at sort of the things that they innovated with their creator owned work, it's just no contest whatsoever. I don't know, man, I got to give this one to, I got to give this one to Miller um, with respect to burn, despite the fact that I took some shots. Um, but again, to him, like we shouldn't even be doing this podcast at all because you know, we're grown ass <laughs> men. What do we care? So, <laughs> well, yeah, as, as a person with the maturity of a 10 year old, like tell him to, to F off, buddy. Uh, we're going to, we're going to psychoanalyze these things and you guys who make them until the fucking wheels call up, call, fall off. So we have a Patreon that you can contribute to, uh, check it out. Patreon.com forward slash, uh, the greatest pod. And we definitely thank you guys for enjoying our vivisection of these two creators. Frank Miller takes it, uh, by a, a few big hands. <laughs> he, he definitely edges a uh, homeboy out. I'll say this as a parting thing for burn. The closest thing Byrne ever did to the dopeness of, of Frank Miller, at, I'm talking about Apex Frank Miller, was this OMAC series he did. It was in black and white. He drew it pretty damn good. 
And it was like Omac and, and Brother I was in the sky and he would occasionally get so fucked up that Brother I would have to reconstruct him. And he was just in this wasteland where they would like give you a woman again, that burnism coming out. Although Frank Miller, we didn't talk about every mm-hmm. woman that Frank Miller has ever written in life being a whore. We didn't really uh-huh. talk about we didn't really uh-huh. get into that. But I'm just I'm like, just laying it out there. I'm just laying these, it out there. <laughs> both of these guys tend to be regressive shitheads at at too many turns so like should just be acknowledged <laughs> exactly so but all, all that said omax the closest thing that i think he did to being like frank miller and it still ain't really close for my money so uh that's that's why we had to give it to frank miller but uh what are your thoughts leave them in the form of a five-star review baby thank you for listening to another great episode of the greatest Pod.